Okay, good morning. Good morning. My wife said, remember, you're online. It's always scary, isn't it, Scott? <laughs> well, they just have to put up with me the same as everybody else. What can I say? Uh, obviously, you see Scotty right there, and I'm not him. He's down there. Uh, he took a week off, and he deserves it. Uh, by the way, you're not going to get the same uh, class that he gives. I don't think I can follow him, his footsteps anyway. Now, you have a graph, you know, illustration. You can look at it if you want, but it won't tell you much until I say something about it. But it is important. Uh, you know, last time we spoke, uh, I did anyway, uh, we were talking about Paul and the fact that people would say he was a super saint uh, because of all of what he did. And the point I was trying to get at last time I spoke to you is that he wasn't a super saint at all. He was just a saint. We're all saints. That's what scripture says. So why would we think Paul was a super saint? Well, because he did so much. You realize that you can do just as much or more? With the power of God, you can do that. Think about his life transition that we talked about and everything. We've all had the same transition, have we not? We've all been born again. And so our lives are just starting with our salvation as far as the life that we have in Christ. And we all able to do many things. Now, we're not Paul. Don't get me wrong. We were not called to do some of the things Paul was called. He was called to talk to kings, for example. I've never talked to a king in my life. Uh, you probably haven't either. But we all are called to do something. But sometimes we are held up in our life by things that we do in our life that are not correct. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Uh, if you need a, a little bit of a title of this uh, spiritual challenge, we'll call it this morning, I put down avoiding self-inflicted harm. Yeah, we, we actually can harm ourselves by what we do in our life, spiritually speaking, which will result by a natural byproduct to be a physical harm as well. For example, you say, what do you mean by that? If somebody be, starts drinking at a young age and continues to drink, and becomes an alcoholic, what do they end up doing? Destroying their liver usually? Yep. Usually dying young? Yep. Well, they started out in a spiritual sense doing harm to themselves and ended up doing a physical harm to themselves. So that's kind of what I'm talking about. Um, you know, sometimes we think we want to take shortcuts. Everybody likes McDonald's. I don't, by the way, but I'm just saying that as a, as a comment. You want to go in there quick. You want to get whatever you want to eat or drink, whatever you want out of there, right? And if they don't do it in a hurry, you hear people in there complaining constantly, don't you? Whatever it is, two minutes is not quick enough. <laughs> Got to be quicker. Well, there's no shortcuts to maturity when it comes to spiritual things. For us that are born again, it takes a little bit of work and effort in order to understand where God wants us in life, to give us direction on our life. And so we need to understand that if we're going to be a spiritual, mature Christian, we need to be constantly searching in the scriptures about what God says is in our life, what we need. And each one of us is different. Now, in general, there's a lot of things that we all do together. We're all not supposed to sin. We're all supposed to love the Lord. We all do that together. But in specific, each one of us has some duties that God has given us. He's given us talents. He's given us the ability to do things that other people probably can't do. I understand, which I didn't know, Esther's supposed to play the piano today. Uh, that's wonderful. I can't. That's a talent that God's given her that she uses for the Lord. Each one of us has different talents. And, and as we look at 1 Corinthians, it talks about the body. The body in totality is what serves Christ. But each individual within the body helps the body to do the service that we need to do. That's why it says the toe's important, the arm's important, the eye's important, everything's important. Cleaning the restrooms, for example, a lot of people see that as low, low, low. They don't like to be a teacher, right? Right, Scotty? No. I'm glad that anybody teach you once. Uh, they think that the jobs that make you very visible and make you, uh, uh, what do I say, uh, popular with a group of people is what you want. Every job is necessary, whether it be the nursery, cleaning up, whatever it is. Every one of them. I, I used to give the illustration. I don't know if I've given it since I've been here or not. And I used to teach in the public schools, as you know. And uh, one of the things I taught was uh, senior government. And I asked a question one day with my senior class, who's supposed to be intelligent by now, 12 years of education, right? Literally, someone couldn't even read and write their name. But anyway, they're supposed to be intelligent. And I'd say to them, what was more important during the Black Plague? 
was the doctor more important or was was uh, someone else more important? And they looked at me for a while and they go, well, the doctor would be the most important. He'd save lives. I said, you know, the trash collectors would have been the most important in those days. More important than a doctor. Why? They would have prevented the black plague because cleaning up the trash is where the rats went. And the rats carried the fleas and they're the ones that brought the plague upon the, the world, which killed millions and millions of people. So sometimes we have a wrong impression about who's important in life. We need to remember we're all important in the sight of the Lord. So there's no shortcuts. And scripture tells us in uh, Isaiah 28, 13, that we need to think of scripture on precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little, there a little. And, and what does that mean? It means learning about God is a slow process. I mean, even if you get into the Word and you dig deep, the Word is very, very deep. It takes many, many years of really searching out the scriptures to understand some things. So we need to learn to be patient is the idea. And we need to learn to stay consistent and do the study of the word every day. We should be reading the word every day. Sometimes we think experience is more important than scripture is. Well, experience, according to what scripture says, doesn't trump doctrine, does it? Or truth. Does not. Now, you hear people say sometimes when you're talking to them about spiritual matters, well, I've experienced this, I've experienced that. And you'll go back and you say, well, the scripture says this, and the scripture says that. They go, well, I've experienced this, and I've experienced that. Experience doesn't amount to a hill of beans when it comes to the reality of the truth of God's word. The doctrinal truth is what's the most important. There is no substitute for that truth. Um, we were in a church, and Jim and Jody, our friends, were here. They might remember this guy. He was a Mormon elder. He wasn't a Mormon when he came to our church to talk. He had been a Mormon elder, and he was telling us some things about the Mormon church that he was cautious about. And one of the things he said that I've never forgotten, he said, we had more Baptists converted to Mormonism than any other faith. Now, a lot of Mormons are born under Mormonism. They live in Utah or somewhere where they have the enclave of Mormonism, and they just raised that way, so that's what they think is right. Some people, for some reason, decide that they need to change what God's already told them, they might even be saved people for whatever reason, and they decide that they're going to go over to the Mormon side. Well, here's what he said. He said, you know why there were so many Baptists that would turn to, turn to Mormonism? He said, because they didn't know the doctrine. They didn't know their actual truth. They claimed to be Baptists. They claimed to be, you know, servants of God, but they didn't uh, search the scriptures out as the Bereans did. They didn't check every day to see what was going on. They didn't study they didn't meditate on the word, and so they got lost. As soon as some false doctrine came their way, they couldn't detect that it was a false doctrine. If we if we if we go to a church, and me and my wife travel quite often, as you know, and we sit down and we always go to church as much as we can, even on Wednesday, very seldom ever miss when we're on the road. And we sit down and we're listening to someone, and the minute they say something that my mind says, woo, red flag. Alarms go off, bells go off. I'll write that down. Now, I'm not going to go up and start yelling. I'm like, that's wrong. I'm like, you know, I'm going to do that. But he maybe teach me something that is correct. I've just never heard it from Scripture before. It's my responsibility to go to Scripture and look and see if it is correct. Mm -hmm. And if it isn't correct, mark in your mind. Next time you hear that, it's garbage. Or if it is correct, say, I need to be doing this. God doesn't put things in Scripture for us just to see and think about he wants us to be doers of the word as well. So that's one thing. And you know, the other thing is a lot of times people have real fuzzy feelings about stuff. You know, everything is, uh, a lot of churches today, it's all excitement. It's uh, that, remember we talked about last time, I talked to Kumbaya and everybody's swaying, singing songs. And you know, that's all good. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just that we need to realize that that isn't what God expects when we come, when we come to him for worship. We don't want fuzzy feelings. We want to know the truth. We can have fuzzy feelings later about something. I mean, I, you know, get kind of fuzzy when I think of my wife and, you know, things like that. But the thing is, you know, that's, they can be deceiving, is my point. They can lead you astray. Your mind can play tricks with you. And Satan is a great deceiver, remember? Uh, scripture tells us that he comes to us as an angel of light. He looks good. He sounds good. He's a great orator. But he's a liar. Scripture says he is the father of all lies. He is the original thing of all lies. So we have to know who he is. And that's not easy. So we need to watch our emotions. Emotions is not a good indicator whether we're not spiritually sound on things or spiritually mature. 
Well, with that, let's have a word of prayer. And then we're going to go a little bit further. Lord, Father, we want to thank you for the opportunity just to come before the congregation, Lord. Just help me to be mindful of what I'm saying, Lord. Make sure it's directed by the Spirit. Help us to search the scriptures, Lord, in our minds and our hearts as we live our lives out so that we may better serve you, Lord. Lord, thank you for the opportunity of just being here. For those that are not, Lord, we just pray that you raise them up if they're sick. If they're away from us, Lord, that you bring them back. Lord, thank you for your love for this rest in Christ's name. Now, if you would, if you turn with me, and I don't have my Bible, I won't do my much good anyway. My, my memory's not that good. As a matter of fact, my memory's getting worse. <laughs> if you turn with me, if, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, I want to kind of look at some scripture that kind of indicates how our thinking should be and what our, um, our attitude should be when it comes to the Lord and scripture and how we're supposed to learn from it. Notice this is a very familiar story. Matter of fact, you know, most scripture I'm going to use this morning, you've heard many, many times. There's nothing new under the sun when it comes to God's word, but there are nuggets in God's word that we need to dig out. Things that are just gems that really help us in life. We just need to search the scriptures and make sure we find those gems. It says in uh, verse 6 of chapter 11 of Hebrews, but without faith it is impossible to please God. Okay, right away we know that you've got to have faith. I'm going to please God without faith. And of course, faith brings us to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. The knowledge of Jesus Christ brings us salvation. And then we can serve God because we have faith, all right? For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. First of all, we've got to acknowledge that God is God, right? And then he says, and that he is a rewarder of men who diligently seek him. What's that word diligent mean? God, what does that word mean? Conscientiously, intentionally. Yeah, explicitly. Your effort. You're, you're putting in effort. You're not. Diligent does mean you're laid back. Oh, remember what I said about osmosis last time? People go to bed and they think, all I got to do is lay my head on the Bible and I'm just going to absorb it in my mind. No, it takes effort, doesn't it? It takes study. And sometimes that study could be arguments. I mean, there's some parts of the scripture that I, I look at, especially when it comes to the words and and genealogies and all that. I don't read well. I say to Kathy, what is this word? You know, uh, it, it's tough, but you, you got to do it. You got to you gotta figure out what's going on. So we need, we need to diligently seek after God. What is, what is James 4.8 tell us? Turn to James for a second. Turn back in the Bible a little bit. Now, mine sticks together. I've used this Bible for so many years that the pages actually literally stick together. So sometimes it takes me a little bit of time to figure it out. So I said go back, but you actually go forward. All right, James, here we are. Chapter 4, verse 8. It says, draw nigh unto God, and he will draw nigh unto you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Double so that's interesting. I find something in this passage of Scripture to be profound in that how most people think. Most people think that God draws nigh unto you. What's the indication here? What does that scripture tell us? We draw nigh unto God. Remember, since the time of the Garden of Eden, we have a broken fellowship with the Lord when sin occurred with Adam and Eve. Remember, they used to walk with them daily and talk with them. Now, God is spirit, so we don't know exactly how that works we might go in heaven when we get there he did walk and talk with them daily and they converse with the lord now they've sinned god's put them out of the garden he's put angels on the on the entranceway to the garden so they can't re-enter can't go back to the tree life at all it's a protecting thing that he did and then we find out god's god's economy the way he that he deals with mankind totally changes he talks through prophets he talks through visions and stuff like that but he didn't talk directly like they did with them so as a, as, a, as a result of that, we find that things have now changed and God no longer comes to them, but we have to go to God. And that's why when it says in Scripture that we have broken fellowship when we sin because God hates sin, it hoards it, as Scripture says, until we get right, we use 1 John 1, 9, and we get our life purified again, God, God won't have anything to do with us. He, he can't stand sin, Okay. So when we draw near to God, we have to purify ourselves, don't we? We have to think, okay, God, I'm coming before a holy God. i got to make sure that I'm right. That's why in the Lord's Supper, for example, when, when Pastor, we just had it last week, 
said to us, you know, we need to uh, we need to examine ourselves. Otherwise, what do we do? Eat and drink damnation to ourselves, don't we? We need to examine ourselves, see what's wrong with us, and then tell the Lord what's wrong with us in the way that he would do it. Sometimes we like to butter it up and make it look like we're not that bad of a person. We're bad. I'm bad. You're bad. <coughs> we do things that God doesn't like. And we need to clear that up. Now, some of the ways we can do that, according to Scripture, is we're not going to turn to these, but in John 15, 3, uh, Titus 3, 5, Ephesians 5, 26, they all talk about the washing of the word. Who is the word? Well, who does Scripture say the word is, according to, to uh, yeah, Tim? Yeah, Christ is the word. Scripture tells us in Hebrews, Christ was the living word. Remember in Hebrews 1, it says, God sent the prophets and, and whatnot, and, and they killed them all, of course. And then he sent his son. The last thing that he sent was his son. You can't say anything more precious than that. And what did they do to him? They killed him as well. They killed the messenger because they don't like the message. But the truth is, God's truth, is that we need to listen to what God's saying because we're all on the wrong road and literally going to hell unless we know Christ. And for us that are born again and saved... We're literally destroying our spiritual life by not serving God in a way that he's called us to do that. So we need to keep that in mind. So when we're drawn nigh to God, we have to say to ourselves, I need to get close to God. In doing so, there's a few things that happen. If you're really in tune with God, you'll find that the Spirit speaks to you a lot more. If you're wayward, and I like people that just have the ears on and music just blurring, how in the world could they hear the still, small voice of the Lord if they're just... Got, and the reason they do that is I think they want to forget about what they're doing. They just want to just go about their business. It's all about dancing, music, you know, whatever, movies. You just say, whatever, and never contemplate God, though. And that way they feel like they're okay. If I don't hear God, I don't have to worry about God, right? Well, why don't they want to worry about God? That's an interesting point. Why don't they want to do that? Anybody have an idea? John, why, why do they want to listen to God? Human beings, in general. Well, in a combination. One, he's a savior of life unto life, savior unto death unto death. God makes us have to face yourself. You've got to confront the fact that you're immortal. And that's the instinct. But the Bible says, God lighteth every man that comes in the world. So we have this knowledge inherently in us. When you've got to know God, when they knew God, they glorified him not. They denied him. They run. They yeah. leave. Romans. Men chose darkness rather than light. Anything but God. Yeah. Yeah, because what? God will direct their lives. They don't want their lives directed. Correct. They don't want to do anything you want to do. Yeah, Jim? They are lovers of themselves more than lovers of God. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And, and we are. And think about it. Think about it today. I mean, I've said this before. I'm, I'm amazed. I, I never thought I'd see this happen in my lifetime. I honestly didn't. When me and Kathy were younger... Everybody went to church. I mean, they weren't all safe. Don't get me wrong. But they went to church and respected the Lord. If you use the name of the Lord, I mean, they were respectful. A lot of times they'd swear on it. If they knew you were a believer, they'd kind of correct you. I'm sorry. You know what I'm Not anymore. No, it's really sad. You look at our country. It's so sad. Everybody's into themselves. No one wants to worship God because if I worship God, I can't worship myself. I mean, you get so bad with these people that pump iron and stuff that you hear stories about them going to comb their hair and pull muscle. They're so bulked up. And they look in the mirror and they put, they put you know, oil all over themselves and look at me. Hey, 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 you, look at me. Instead of let's look at the Lord. Who are we supposed to worship in this life? It's not us. So Jim's right. They want to glorify themselves instead of God. So it's a dangerous place to be. Now, notice also a couple things that Scripture says. Turn to me to Matthew 23, 37. God really wants to protect us. But we're so uh, <laughs> stubborn, I guess is the best word I can use, that we think we know it all, and that we don't need any of God's help. And so we put ourselves in an impossible situation when it comes to the reality of life. So let's look at this, Matthew 23, 37. Luke 13, 34 says the exact same things. Um, <clears throat> I'm still looking for it. Hang on a second. It says, and this is Christ talking, of course. He says, Jeru oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, 
thou that killest the prophets, which we just talk, talked about, and stoneth them, which are sent to thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and ye would not. God says, I want to love you and protect you. You won't let me. I mean, if you really think about that, I use this word a lot, and it's probably not a real good word to use, especially on a poem, but people are really stupid, including myself. We're really dumb sometimes. Here God says, I'll protect you if you allow me to. And that's what a hen does. When there's danger, she puts her wings up and the chick's all underneath her. If anybody's going to get hurt, it's going to be her. Okay? And God says the same way. Now, why is he saying that? You look ahead in that, in that chapter and, and he talks about all the things that Israel had done wrong. And he comes upon Jerusalem and the scripture says he wept when he looked on the city. And he says... Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you know, I, I, I protect you if you'd let me, but you won't. You won't let me. And that's the way mankind is, because they think they know better than God does. They have their own agenda. They think they're smarter than God. How can you be smarter than the one who created you? You ever think about that? It, it's a, it's a um, what do they call it? I'm trying to think of the right word. I, I'm not very uh, educated in that kind of stuff, but it's the one where, you, where, where it's, a double, it's a double meaning and it doesn't really mean what you think it means. Yeah, they think they're so smart, but they're really not. They're actually, the mankind's killing themselves, literally, spiritually and physically, by saying, oh, I'm so smart. Now, when we look at this, we, we need to go to our illustration. You can get your little illustration out now. Yeah, and just look at it for a minute. And then turn to, with me to Peter, 1 Peter 5, 8. A very familiar passage of Scripture, again, most of us can probably quote it from heart. Yet, there's a, a lot of real truth in that that I don't think we always understand. So we're looking at 1 Peter 5, 8, and it says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, your devil, is a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. Now, it literally means devour, to eat us alive, okay? But what are the two words that it says above that? In the very beginning, it says what? Be sober. Now, it's not talking about being drunk and then being sober. That's not what it means. Although being drunk would not be a good position to be in when they're dealing with the devil. Sober, by uh, Strong's definition of the original word, means to have retrospect or have perspective uh, to watch. Remember when I gave you uh, last time we talked Ephesians 5.15 and I said we're supposed to walk circumspectly? And I gave you the example of the ostrich that sticks his head in the sand and I said think about a semi doing 80 miles an hour. He sees a semi coming. He's going to ignore the danger. sticks his head in the sand. And I said what do you think is going to happen to his posterior when the semi hits him at 80 miles an hour? Feathers and guts everywhere, right? He literally gets destroyed because he refuses to heed to God's warning, okay? And this is what God is saying here. Be vigilant means to be awake, to watch. To walk circumspection means to stand up straight and to have your eyes all around the environment. To be alert. It's like a defensive driver. I don't know how you drive, but I drive defensively. I always have all my life. What does that mean? I'm looking in my rear view mirror, in my side mirrors, everywhere around me all the time. I don't even care if I'm on the freeway going a straight line. It doesn't matter. You never know when somebody's going to hit you from behind or something's going to happen. I've averted many accidents in my life by doing that. So what are you doing? You're, you're aware of your surroundings constantly. You can't go to sleep at the wheel. You can't just be ignoring things. You have to be alert. And that's what God is telling us here. Because Satan, like a lion, is roaming around ready to devour us, okay? He literally wants to do that. And you say, okay, so what's with a graft? Well, look at your little graft. Now, I know he's a stick guy, and I know he doesn't have horns and a pointed tail and a pitchfork, okay? I understand that. It's an illustration. I know that his domain is not an exact circle either, okay? Now, by the way, I drew that freehand. No, I didn't. Just kidding. Uh, but what it means is God says that Satan is what? Give me a couple of things that God says about Satan that you can remember. There's several things that he says about Satan in Scripture. He's got about 150 names, by the way. I'm looking for a few that would relate to his own domain. One, yeah, he's a roaring lion. Yeah, exactly. And that's what he's going to be when we're showing the domain thing here. 
He's a prince of this world, Scripture says. He's a prince and a power of the air, God says. His cosmos, his world, is the earth. This is his domain. In case you didn't realize it, he runs the government. He runs the economy. And when the end times come, he's going to be able to grab a hold of all that because he's been doing that for a long time. You wonder why our country is so corrupt? You wonder why the world is so corrupt? You know, the UN came about, and the UN was supposed to change everything. And you look at me and go, oh, what are you talking about, Brother Dean? Oh, yeah, UN was going to make everybody get along, and we're going to have world peace, right? You know, the UN is one of the most corrupt places on earth. I mean, if you really study, know what's going on, and you don't need to, by the way, just take my word for it, but you should check it out just in case you think I'm blind to you. It's the most corrupt place on earth. Why do you think we still can't get anything done? Everybody bribes everybody. Everybody scratches everybody. It's the same old, same old. It's a good buddy system. World Health Organization. They did a real good job last time, didn't they, with COVID? Right? Wonderful. Oh, just fantastic. They're about as corrupt as you can get. The guy that runs it is a corrupt person, the president. That's the way the world works. It's everybody helping everybody else so long as somebody gets on top. It's dog eat dog. It's king of the pile, you know. You ever played king of the pile, dog pile? The strongest guy gets on top. He's the winner, right? You wrestle on the floor. You ever did that as kids? It's exciting stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's the way the world system works. And he runs it. He's in charge of it. And he's the one that can, can do it. But let me say this. You think, oh, Brother Dean, you're saying some scary stuff. God has got him on a chain. And he can only go so far. He is tethered. And it, that, it's God now. That tether's not ever moving. That chain's not ever breaking. He can only do so much. He's only got so many places to go. Think of Job. What did God say? What about my servant Job? And Satan says, well, I'll show you. He'll turn against you. And he said, you can do everything but what? Kill him. And boy, he did everything to him he could, did he? But Job was a righteous man. He did not forsake God. As a result, what happened at the end of his life? He got everything tenfold. God blessed him. Now, I'm not saying you're going to get tenfold of everything. It doesn't always work with everybody. But that is one illustration where it does in Scripture. Now, let's talk about this domain and this chained up devil that's roving around trying to devour us. There's a couple things we need to learn about him that would be interesting. If you know anything about how wild animals work when they're, when they're stalking game, you know they have certain things that they do to get a better uh, chance of getting to pray. Okay? So what kind of things do they do? Well, God tells us that he's a shepherd, right? And the sheep know the shepherd, and they stay close to the shepherd. And what happens, like when David was shepherding, when somebody, one of the wolves or a lion or a bear came out to get one of the sheep, what did David do? He slew him, didn't he? He killed him. He protected the flock. And God is here to protect us as well. But we have to be smarter than the average bear. You know, you, can you remember Yogi Bear and, and Jellystone when you were kids? I know most of you are about my age. And he used to say to Boo Boo, he said, got to be smarter than the average bear. We have to be smarter than the average bear. We can't be a bunch of dummies, okay? So what does is, what is Satan do when he's stalking his prey? Well, he looks for the stragglers. Think about it. They're away from the flock. They wandered away for whatever reason. It's not smart to get away. That's, the shepherd can't protect them if they're wandering away. He's got to stick with the flock, right? If they get too far away, they're vulnerable to Satan's attack. So he'll pounce on them. He goes after the sickly. Now, I don't mean sickly physically, although that could be true. I'm talking about uh, people that are carnal, sick in the flesh. They're not, they're not in a spirit. He goes after them. Why? Because they don't know the scriptures. They don't know how to protect themselves against the wiles of the devil. When we think of Ephesians 6, and God says, put on the armor of God, notice he says, put on. A lot of us walk out the door every day. We don't put that armor on. And we come back, and we're all beshoveled, and we're all beat up. We've got scars and bandages all over the blood everywhere, and black eye, and we go, wow, that was a bad day. Well, yeah, we didn't put on the armor. We didn't get our protection because we're not paying attention to what God tells us. Well, how about the young? He goes after the young. Say, so what does the young represent? He represents people who are new in the Lord, who don't know any better, they're not mature yet. 
That's our responsibility. Now, it's their responsibility to get into this Bible and start studying on their own. Don't get me wrong. Don't expect pastor to feed you all the time. You need to be feeding yourself. But on the other hand, there are responsibilities for the church to tutor, to disciple, to give Bible study to those people so that they can learn as fast as they can the wiles of the devil to protect them. There's a lot of people that refuse to work with other people. They just don't have time. They're too busy at work. Well, God forbid, I'm glad my mother loved me enough to show me who Jesus Christ was. I'm glad there's people that raised me and Kathy in the church, different pastors and different spiritual people that mentored us to get us to where we're at today. They cared about us because they loved the Lord. Because the Lord loved them, they're going to love others, as God says, for to do that. That's part of our responsibility. Well, how about the elderly? That's us. That's me. Elderly. Well, you say, what's their problem? They're just living their life, enjoying things. Hopefully you are. Well, what, what, what happens to them is they begin to coast. They begin to think everything's okay. I've lived, I lived a tough life. I deserve that break now. Now, it's true. Physically, believe me, this last three months, I know I have to have some problems. And you think, man, I'm not 20 anymore. You're not. But there are things that God calls us to be responsible for that we can do. We just refuse to do it because we think we've earned the right not to do it. And so we start drifting. We start, you know, being casual about whatever we do, coming to church, reading the Bible, whatever it is. That's a great danger. Notice it in 1 Corinthians uh, 10, 12. We're going to go there later, but I'm just going to mention. In, in 12, just before it gives us the thing about a way of escape, you know, being tempted, it says... Take heed that you don't think you've arrived because unless you fall. The minute you think you've arrived, the minute you're going to get nailed. Think about Elijah, Mount Carmel. We talked about him last time we talked. And we said he was on the highest point you could probably be in, in all the history when it comes to spiritual things. And he's way up on top. But the minute that Jezebel says, I'm going to have your life in 24 hours, what do he do? He said, rely upon God. What do he do? He turned chicken and he ran, didn't he? He feared for his life. Now, he should fear for his life, but the first thing he should have done was turn to the Lord. He said, Lord, i just seen the greatest miracle that anybody's ever seen. You're the most powerful God there is. You're the only God there is. I've just seen you wipe out all these false prophets, burn the, the altar to the ground, suck up the water, all the things that it did. You're the greatest God there ever has been. And you know what? He says, but in this case, he didn't even talk to God. He probably didn't even think about it. He just ran. I remember I had, uh, before I found out I had diabetes, I had uh, a retina that was tore in my eye. I woke up one morning, it was just tore. Probably too much sugar in the system, whatever. The eye is a very delicate thing, probably the most delicate thing in your body. And if you've ever had that happen, you know, any sunlight, any light at all, just it's blinding, it's excruciating. Well, I jumped up and I told my wife, I said, I don't know what's going on, there's something wrong with me. But I was going to go to work, go to, uh, I always did, I was crazy, I go to work, even sick. Went to work, and I had the doctor, the eye doctor I went to, the optometrist I went to was in the building where I worked. They had a, a medical office building right next to the hospital. I ran over as soon as I could. As soon as he opened, I had him look at it. He started telling me stuff to scare me to death. Oh, you got a degenerative this or that and the other. Well, I had an eye doctor that I did work for. I built cabinets. I rebuilt his whole, his whole uh, office at one point. So I went over at noontime. At lunchtime, I went over and saw him. Now, the, the thing that's sad about this story is, it's on me, believe me, is that I've been witness to him for months. I've been working in his in his office, remodeling, refacing the stuff, rebuilding new uh, fixtures and stuff for his eyeglasses and all that kind of stuff. And I've been witnessing, witnessing, saying he wasn't safe. I go in there and I'm saying, hey, uh, Randall was his first name. What's going on? And I, well, you got a torn right now. And I'm just kind of panicking and I'm just kind of really nervous. He, said, he looked at me and that's just how small I felt. Probably smaller than that. He said, what happened to that great God you're always telling me about? Talk about being embarrassed. He said, you tell me your God can do anything. He said, by the way, we, do, we, we, we can physically fix your eye. Don't worry about it if it doesn't mend itself. And I was running around, my head cut off, just going berserk, worried about losing my eyesight, which is important to us. Yeah. But I never talked to God. I never went to prayer. I never said, God, lead me to the right place. Show me where I need to go. I never did any of that stuff. I've learned to be very careful. Now, I'm not going to say I'll never do it again. I hope I never do. But you know what? That was a great lesson for me. I was totally embarrassed. I felt that high. He later got saved, by the way. 
He got saved in a church that he was going to. But it, it was interesting. So when we look at that and we think about that, we got to think, okay, what's going on with us here? What's, what's so important in our life that we got to put God out of it? You know, Scripture tells us that a little leaven leavens a whole loaf. Sometimes we think we can dabble with things and get away with it. Look at the circle here that we got drawn here on the, on the illustration. For those who don't have an illustration, there's another one back on the chair, uh, Franklin, if you want to go get one. It, it's just real simple. But here's the point. He can't leave his domain. God has, has harnessed him down to where he's limited to what he can do to us. And then God in Scripture tells us how we stay out of his domain. But what do we do? Remember when I gave the illustration of the world and God's down here and I said, we get saved and it's all God and I'm going to serve you. And, and the line's right here for where we should be. And we're saying, oh, yeah, God, you're the one. You're the only one. And then pretty soon his life goes along, lollygagging around. And, and, and the line moves. Is, you know, the reason the line moves is we look at the standard of the world and think, we're, as Christians, we're better than the world is. You look at the world today and if you try to tell me you're just a little bit better than the world, you've got a problem. The world is in real bad shape. We ought to be out there witnessing, trying to change those people so they didn't come to know Christ because our country is in bad shape. So is the world in general. Well, that line changes, right? And I said, here, I, I had a globe right there. Here, what do we do? We don't cross the line. We get as close as we can. We're supposed to draw an eye onto God. He's over there. And I said, we've turned our back on God. Our posterior has turned our back on God. We're forsaking him. And we start loving the world. And we do that because we don't think it hurts to have a little bit of leaven. People that start, how do people start drinking? How do they start taking drugs? Just once, just a little bit. Oh, I only drink wine. No big deal. It won't harm you. We just seen a cousin on the last trip we went to. We went to Reno. As some of you know, a lot of my family lives in Reno. I was raised there for a while as a kid. And uh, he uh, drinks extremely heavy. He has all of his life. He's probably... In his 60s or close to it, late 50s. And a couple of years ago, he had a liver incident where the doctor said, hey, he didn't tell us, I'm, I can imagine. I could ask his wife or somebody else, I'm sure they'd tell me. I didn't need to know, I'm pretty sure I'm right. Probably said, oh, you, need, you need to quit drinking. He drank hard liquor, horribly. So what does he do? He starts drinking beer. <laughs> so he's drinking beer, drinking beer the last two years. When we were there just recently, we were told he's back to drinking hard liquor again. He's basically formed in his mind the attitude is, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to die. I might as well enjoy myself. And by the way, if I'm not saved, because we've witnessed to them, and he's not saved, I'll be in, I'll be in hell with my buddies. We'll drink all the time. Obviously, he hasn't read Scripture. What does Scripture say about hell? It's a dark place. There is no light. Without Christ, there is no light, and Christ is not down there. Gnashing of teeth, where the worm never dieth. We're in agony constantly where you wish you could have a drop of water on your tongue. He's not going to know his buddies down there because he ain't going to be able to see anybody. He's not going to have any beer because there ain't nothing to drink down there. All there is is fire and torment. I mean, you wonder what people are thinking. Now, if you say that to him, and sometimes we need to say that. I mean, I've had people say, well, you're just trying to frighten me. I said, no, I'm not trying to frighten you. I'm just telling you the truth. If you're frightened, you best be frightened because that's the truth. So we need, to, we need to remember that if we stay out of his domain, we don't get devoured. We don't get eaten up alive. But we have a problem of wanting to get as close as we can. Now, I want to give you one other illustration that I think is really good for us to know. And before I do that, though, I want to mention a few other things that, that we need to understand. You know, in, uh, in uh, Jude uh, 1.9, it tells us that uh, the archangel Michael, when he was um, contending for the body of Moses, didn't argue with Satan. Satan was there trying to argue over the body, right? What did, what did, what did archangel Michael say to, to Satan? Do you remember? You can look it up real quick. John, do you know? The Lord rebuke you. There are times when we try to do things ourselves, even though we're trying to do it right, spiritually speaking right, but God says, there are certain things that I do. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. He'll handle it. Being around Satan and trying to do anything with Satan is absolutely ixnay no. Forget it. It's not our ability to do it. It's not our problem to do it. It's up to God. So just remember that. Now, the scripture tells us something, and I'm going to get around to the other illustration in a second here. 
and we're going to run out of time. We've got about 10 minutes. But in John, 1 John 2, 15 to 17, God tells us there's three things that can cause us to stumble in the world. Remember, it's the lust of the flesh. It's the lust of the eyes. It's the pride of life. What do each one of those things represent? Well, the lust of the flesh represents self. You look at things, you desire things, you're being fleshly. You're not, you're not being spiritual, okay? The lust of the eyes is the world. You look out there and you look at the world. Remember, Satan tempted uh, our Lord in the, in, in, the, in the wilderness. What do you say? You can have all these things. They tempt us with the things around us. Oh, new cars, new this. Oh, I got to work two jobs. I want a new car, right? Oh, I got to work two jobs because of this or that or that. Yeah, we, we look at materialism, and if we, you don't think we're not materialistic today as a country, you, you're asleep somewhere, you're, you're under a rock, I don't know where you're at, but you're not paying attention. That's all people want anymore, is materialism. They've forsaken the Lord altogether. And then the pride of life, which represents Satan. Satan, remember, fell as being the most beautiful angel God ever created from heaven because of what? He took pride. Remember Isaiah? I think it's chapter 11, or maybe it's 14, where he does a five I am. I will be greater than Lord, I will this, I will that. Yeah. Sometimes we think like that. I don't need God. I'll be greater than God. We think just like Satan does. Obviously, that's a very dangerous place to be in. Very dangerous. And so we think of these things that are going on in the world, and we think of that. Here's one thing we need to remember. We think Satan does everything, and it's not our fault. You remember Flip Wilson, the colored comedian that used to have a show? And his little, his little catchphrase was what? The devil made me do it. He sneakily, he did that little thing, the devil made me do it. Every time he did something wrong in the skit, of course, the devil made me do it. And people think the devil makes us do everything. Can I say something to you? I'm serious now. Pay attention. The devil in the world cannot make you do anything. Period. It's a choice. It's a decision. You make. The devil won't twist your arm behind your back. He'll try to fool you. He'll try to, he'll try to be a conniving. Remember, he's this very subtle. Remember the garden? He's a snake on his belly. God says he's a great deceiver. He's a lot of things, but he's not going to force you to do anything. We have a free will. We took the free will in the garden. We sinned. We still have a free will. Even though we're saved, we still have a free will. Remember, we still have the old and the new nature. Remember the Indian, American Indian saying where you, you, you feed one dog or the other and that's the one that comes the strongest? The white dog is the one that's good and the black dog is the one that's bad. And if you feed the black dog enough, he's going to be overpowerful. He's going to be the strong one. If you feed into Satan and into the world, you're going to, you're going to live like that. You've got to quit doing that. So don't blame Satan and don't blame the world. Blame yourself. Once in a while, as John was saying a little while ago, look in the mirror. And you don't have to have a physical mirror in front of you, although that helps once in a while. But look in the mirror and say to yourself, examine yourself, where am I at? What am I doing? Where am I going, Lord? Have I made mistakes? Do I need to correct anything? When Scripture talks about us having God search our heart, see if there any, be any bad way in us, pour your heart out to God. The other illustration I want to use is that one of a table saw. As you know, I taught in public schools for a number of years. And what my... my expertise, my learning skill for the students was, I was a vocational education teacher, industrial arts, shop, in case the vocational education doesn't catch it, but one of the most dangerous machines at that time was a table saw. I spent at least five to six to seven weeks in all my classes, even seniors, going over safety in the beginning of the year before I let them touch any machines. They hated me for that, absolutely hated me. Oh, Mr. Dean, we know all about it. My dad's got one in his garage. My, you know, my uncle this, my, this. I know all about it. I only had one accident in all the years I taught. A kid did hurt himself on the table saw. And the minute I seen him hurt himself and I ran over there, I looked and I could tell right away he didn't do something right that he knew. He was a junior, if I remember right. And he goes, oh, I know, Mr. Dean, I was supposed to live, but I thought this, I thought that. Don't think. Just do what's right. The thing about a table saw you need to understand is a blade is stationary. The machine is a standard, you know, stationary machine. Ours was bolted to the floor. You couldn't even move it. Very heavy. It was a cabinet type. It was a very uh, three-horse powerful motor. All right. The blade stays the same place. In order for you to cut yourself, you've got to put your hand into the blade. Now, 
think about it for you the guys especially that like table saws and stuff and play around it's got special guards on it it's got all kinds of things to help you now i've taken the guards off of mine i've cut myself many times as my wife will tell you as i come in the house give me a band-aid wrap me up or give me disinfectant <laughs> yeah because you do something stupid those guards are there for a reason now there's a guard for the blade there's what they call a splitter to keep wood from kicking back there's there's what they call anti-kickback devices on a splitter that keeps boards from coming back at you. We had a shop class one time where a kid was cutting some strips. He let go of it. We had a push stick. He's doing it right, but he let go of the board. I don't know why. And that saw blade is turning at 3,300 RPMs, and it put the board right to the sheetrock wall in my garage because it was a Christian class I was teaching at the time, and they go to my house to learn. What do you think it'd do to your stomach? So you got to be careful. There's a reason why all those guards are on there. And if we're not being careful, then we're going to have some trouble. Now, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 for a minute, a well-known passage of Scripture again. And we're going to look at something I think people misinterpret as well. We like to read Scripture and whatever applies to us um, the way we want it to, then that, that's how we interpret it. Scripture says interpretation comes from the power of the Spirit. First Peter, go look at it. Chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, I believe. It's not for our own interpretation. The only interpretation there is, the true interpretation, is through God, through the Spirit. If you're far from God, if you're down by the world, you're not going to know what the right interpretation is because you're not close enough to God to hear the voice. You're not in Scripture to know what's going on. So as we look here, let's read this. It says... Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. And that's one I just gave you a little while ago. There hath no temptation taken you, but as such as, but such is, as is common to man. But God is faithful. In other words, we all have the same problems. Nobody's, you know, nobody is exempt. Nobody gets a free ride. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able but will with a temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Now, most people say, oh, God is going to save me out of the pit. God is going to save me, going to pull my bacon out of the fire. God ain't going to do that. God is going to show you the way that you can do it, but God ain't going to do it. I'm afraid not. Notice, we're going to read one more verse here in a second, but notice something that's very important. He says he's going to show you the way of escape. Think of it like an exit door. You've got exit signs. If this place is on fire, that exit sign tells me I need to get out right now. Okay? He's going to show you the way of escape. All right? Notice the next one. And remember, Corinthians, a lot of people read the book of Corinthians and they say, oh, they're nice people. No. They're being rebuked by Paul. They're doing terrible things. One of them was idolatry. That whole chapter is talking about how they are idolatrous. And, and now they've fallen back into it. Remember, he tells them really how carnal they are. They're babes. They, haven't, they can't take meat. They only can take milk. Even though they've learned, been learning for a long time, they still haven't figured it out. So he has to go back and teach them when they should be teaching others. Remember that? And he says, Wherefore, my be lovely beloved, flee from adultery. Ah, there we go again. Flee. And there's a couple of things we need to look at. I'm just going to tell you because we're running out of time. We've got about five minutes and I was pushing the limit at that. Remember in 2 Timothy 2.22, it says, flee from your useful lust. Yep. We used to tell the kids when we were working with, with uh, high schoolers and stuff and we were youth directors, don't get somewhere where you can get intimate when nobody's around. You're just asking for trouble. Stay in the open. Stay around chaperones. Be smart. Then it says also, that in James 4, 7, you know, resist the devil and he will flee from you. We got to resist. You can't go up and get in his domain and go and say, I want to shake your hand. I, I kind of think you're a nice guy and expect nothing to happen when he devours you. Kind of silly when you stop and think about it. We have to be ultimately careful, okay? So when we look at this, yeah, it says God gives us a way of escape, but we have to initiate getting out of there. One of the other things that we do that is extremely dangerous we tend to lollygag. We tend to kind of hang around. We're kind of curious, want to see what's going to happen. What is going to happen? He's going to devour you. You know, you need to get out of there. The place is on fire. Oh, I like the flames. I think I'll sit here for an hour or two and just watch it burn as the whole place caves down and on your head. Flee. Leave. Easy. Well, we're going we're gonna to have to conclude. 
And I want to draw some things from our conclusions so that we can see what we've learned so far. And hopefully you are learning. He said, under the conclusions, first thing we learn is we need to draw an eye unto God. We need to be close to the presence of the Spirit. We need to be listening for that still, small voice. Secondly, we need to be reading the Word. We need to be studying. We need to be like at the Bereans were, checking everything out. Knowing Christ, Scripture says over and over again, is the most important thing in the world. Knowing the Scriptures is knowing Christ. Reading the Word and meditating and studying it is really important. All right? Don't stray from God. Keep under God's protection, under his umbrella of protection. Flee sin. Don't hesitate. Turn your opposite direction 180 degrees and take off. As fast as your little legs will run, go. Resist the devil and he will, and his tactics, and he will, he will um, run from you. He will flee from you. And then don't try to fight him. Leave it up to the Lord to do the fighting for you. Now, I hope that when we look at these lessons and these illustrations, I reason I like illustrations that every time I talk, I almost use an illustration. For me, God says there's a bunch of eye gates. You got your ears, you got your eyes, got all kinds of ways that we learn, touch, whatnot. For me, in my lifetime, illustrations helped me a lot to visualize what a man was talking about. And every time, and I've, this illustration comes from a long time ago. It's one I made up. I don't remember anybody showing it to me. But it's been vivid in my mind ever since. How if I step into the zone where Satan has his domain, I'm asking for trouble. And if we're asking for trouble, don't cry out to God. Oh, no, I shouldn't say that. You need to cry out for God. But don't expect, you know, God to say, oh, you poor little thing. You'll probably say, what's wrong with you? I've been telling you all along. What are you doing? We need to, if we're going to fall, we need to fall on our knees and ask God to help us. Well, let's have a word of prayer. Lord, Father, we want to thank you for the time that we've had, Lord, for the studiousness of the class. For those, Lord, we just pray that this would just um, be taken in as nourishment and that, Lord, we can, we can digest what we're hearing, Lord, and, and make it work in our life, be doers of the word, not just listeners, Lord. It doesn't do any good if we can't apply it to our life. It's totally worthless to us. Help us to realize that, Lord. Lord, thank you for your love, your son, all the great stuff you do for us, Lord. For it's in Christ's name we ask it. Amen. All right. Till next time, which might be a while.